It is Locked on Jazz for the 14th of April. Rudy and Donovan, a review of all the noise. George Niang makes Zach Lowe's Luke Walton All-Stars and we'll walk ourselves toward the Stockton shot on the greatest franchise seasons of all time. It's coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and back at it, hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. So we are uh, back at Locked on Jazz. I hope you enjoyed the five-part series on the 91-92 season. It's evergreen if you didn't listen to it. Uh, But we are back with you in our regular form. I want to bring back an old staple uh, for uh, for those of you that are long time locked on jazz listeners. You'll remember this. We used to do something called the daily Devar. Uh, it was actually in honor of a friend of mine who's a professor at the university of Utah. Who's just always in the best mood about the team and always loved everything that was going on about the team. And it was in that era of canter and favors and uh, kind of the veterans and the young guys and our fan base was so split and I just felt like we needed something positive to talk about. So it was uh, the reminder of kind of all the good things about being a fan. So I want to, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, the moment, sometime in your history, of what makes sports special to you, what either makes the jazz special to you, what makes um, whatever the connection to the game is, so fabulous to you uh, and have such importance. It could be, you know, the first game you went to with dad, with grandpa. It could be a moment in time. It could be that it led you to something in your life, whatever. Uh, so and it's and we're going to start the shows with just a reminder of why we care, why this is important, why this is fun, uh, why it, uh, it enlivens us and give us that memory every day uh, with our daily divorce. So email me at dlock. 09 at gmail.com. That's dlock at 09 at gmail.com and send me your daily devar. All right. There has been a lot of talk about Rudy and Donovan. Um, there was the big story in The Athletic, which honestly to me felt like, I thought it was good. Good. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize Tony or Shams. I, I'm not sure I thought any of it was new. Maybe I missed something. Um, but let's let's kind of walk through it big picture, pull ourselves back and talk about this. So Rudy said he was careless about COVID-19 and the severity of it. We know that to be true. Rudy said it. We know it to be true. Uh, and Rudy showed it, frankly, right? He's got the moment with the microphones and he, he has since expressed that, you know, he just... He didn't quite get it. Uh, I said that on his Instagram live the other day. Uh, Donovan said on Good Morning America that it took him a while to cool off. Okay? We know that to be true. Rudy gave Donovan COVID-19. Yeah, we don't know that. Donovan gave Rudy COVID-19. We don't know that. And really, this is where... Anything that we actually know kind of comes to an end. And that's what makes this difficult. 
What we have is two young men under a tremendous amount of stress in a circumstance they've never considered where they suddenly ended up in the forefront of the national story of the world from the point of Rudy getting death threats, as he revealed on the Instagram Live, to Donovan probably being scared to the end of the earth that his career was coming to an end, or he could die, right? We just, we didn't know, like when we go back and think about March 11th, we didn't know anything compared to what we know today. So you had a 23-year-old and a 27-year-old with life experiences that kind of match that of a 23 and a 27-year-old thrown into the fray in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. That's uh, by definition. And like just an unbelievable amount of unknown and fear. And they've talked. According to Rudy, numerous reports. And I thought Rudy said it well. Like they're trying to win a championship together. They're emerging. They're growing. They've they've got clearly the way Rudy said it. They've got some growing pains that are taking place. Um, You know, it's it's an interesting experience for two young players to emerge at the same time on a team. It's very, very difficult, right? I mean, the well-known ones, Kobe and Shaq, Penny and Shaq, LaMarcus and Dame. We've seen Bill uh, Bill Simmons. We've seen Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid struggle. It's hard. And I thought Rudy said it well. Like, we're, we're trying to win a championship together. We have the same task we're trying to get done collectively. Because that's really what it comes down to. They don't have to be going to dinner. At... Okay, I can't remember the name of our restaurants in Salt Lake. I haven't been out in so long. Alimexo is one of my favorites, and they're open right now, so give them credit. Uh, what's the name? Valters. Um, you know, if you listen to Rudy on his Instagram, I was scared, to be honest. I was worried about the people around me. I didn't think it was serious. It really hit me. Now it's time to do as much as possible. He shared about the death threats. Um, you know, he then was really honest about Donovan. We didn't speak for a while. Right. Two guys in the middle of a worldwide issue with fear and lack of knowledge and understanding and not, yeah, not surprising. Spoke a little while ago. We're about, to, we're about going to win a championship. The problem is, They can't see each other. The problem is they can't get back to doing what they do. The problem is they can't have a moment together. So you go through this with all this fear and this unknown and this lack of clarity. And there's no tomorrow. There's isolation and quarantine. And not doing what you do and everything's uncomfortable. We're all uncomfortable. It brings our ire up. I've had plenty of circumstances in which I might have reacted wrong to a circumstance because of the stress and the moment and the time and the concern and the fear of what we've gone through. 
And I'm 49. Let me mention it again since I'm having a midlife crisis on a daily basis. Like, I've got life experience behind me, and I still miss. They're 23 and 27. Rudy said it's not perfect. Why should it be perfect? Frankly. Right? I don't, I mean, I think Rudy and Donovan are pretty interesting because actually in a lot of ways they're very similar. Maybe too similar. Right? So Donovan's dad, minor league baseball player, never makes the show, doesn't get to fulfill all of his life dreams. I'm over-clicheing this with Dr. Phil here a little bit. Rudy's dad, very similar. Plays backup center at Maris, supposed to be very good, behind Rick Smith, gets called to military action in France. In that day and age when you get called for military action, you're now pretty much done. Rudy fulfilling his dream, his dad's dream, Donovan fulfilling his dad's dream, simultaneously both of them, I think it's fair to say, closer to their moms. Both of them, to some extent, real connection is their mom. Rudy and his mom are just the most heartwarming connection, and we've seen Donovan and his mom together. Like, there's just also this crazy similarity to the two of them. All-stars at the same time, rising up out of nowhere at the same time. doing. But that doesn't mean that, like, you know, as George Niang said to Quinn Snyder, you're bros. If you read the Luke Walton article, you got it. So, I got a bunch of emails like, why haven't you commented? I didn't comment because, one, I'm not sure I thought there was something like new that had happened. I thought that we both, we heard Rudy say he was careless. We heard Don, and then we don't know anything else. And then you've got young men in the middle of an incredibly stressful, fear-laden circumstance who are also navigating something that in the history of the NBA has rarely been successful. Two young players rising up together. That's very difficult. So that's my take. I don't know if I told you anything. Um, but I thought, you know, I thought Rudy was did a nice job on his thing and Donovan's always Donovan. I can tell you this. I know them both. I know them both well. They're both really solid. They've probably got their quirks. I know more quirks on one of them than the other. They've probably got their little idiosyncrasies I don't know about. But at the heart of both of them, really good dudes. Really, really good dudes. Who are both trying to get better and committed to being really, really good. And frankly, from a contract standpoint, I think both of them are going to be here for a while. So as Rudy said, we'll have to figure it out. Doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to go win championships. I like it. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. The Murdochs have instituted the Murdoch Sure program and then done all sorts of things to try to make sure that if you need to buy a car right now, it's the time. In fact, I think I shared earlier, we're actually like on the verge of buying a car because the deals are just so ridiculously good. In our case, it will probably be another Hyundai, but we're looking at the Chevy Blazer as well. Uh, and the Equinox, because the deals that they have right now are just so amazing. So here's what Murdoch Sure is. Murdoch Sure is that they'll make sure that you can do anything you want online. They'll bring the car to you for a test drive, uh, and they'll make sure that you that everything is done, you know, with the utmost in uh, security and cleanliness and all the areas you need. And then there's all the various deals that are on, are going on right now, and and they're just tremendous and. You know, frankly, if you're in the market to possibly buy a car, uh, as we are, a uh, little not, you know, frankly, our situations, we aren't planning to, like, we have to make a decision in February 
of what we're doing. But if like if if you don't have to make a payment between now and February, which is basically what their bunch of their deals are, then it feels like you might as well go do it now, right? You have zero percent and you have no payments. Uh, it seems as though they're giving you a free car for a while. Um, at least that that's my take. Um, but pretty amazing. So uh, 0% APR for 84 months and no payments for 120 days on a Chevy. No payments until next year on an Equinox, a, tra- a Trex, or a Silverado at Murdoch Chevy. So check that all out. Chad Ford and Bill Simmons back together again. How great is that? What a show. Uh, there have been the NFL draft shows going on right now. Uh, the mock NFL draft show, it's at Locked on NFL. It's just fabulous. Chad Ford, Bill Simmons was great. Rejecting the screens, putting out amazing content. It's really just kind of, oh, uh, if you're interested, if you liked the 91, 92 documentary aspect of things, um, the Sacramento Kings host, Matt George, did one on their year where they lost to the Lakers with all the Tim Donahue stuff. It was pretty fabulous. So if you get an opportunity, uh, you might want to uh, go grab that. All right. Um, Zach Lowe did his Luke Walton All-Stars, which is kind of his unsung heroes. I thought it was a really interesting list. It had George Niang on it. Uh, but what I thought was really, really interesting about that list was Duncan Robinson and Doug McDermott are his first two players, which gets back to something that we've been talking about pretty consistently here on Locked on Jazz, which is this incredibly or incredible increased value of a high-volume three-point shooters. And, you know, Duncan Robinson has in some ways, just absolutely kind of broken the game. Uh, as we know it as a player, allowing, you know, he's taking 70 some odd percent of his shots is three, 78% of his possessions are threes. There's some other players out there that get interesting. Uh, and I think are worth like digging into. Uh, Ryan Brokoff played 17 games with Dallas this year. And then got cut, and, you know, he he doesn't match what an NBA player is supposed to look like. Except for the fact, he's 6'6", he's 29, he's nothing spec, and he can shoot it. His career three-point shooting average is 40%. Like, if I'm an NBA team, I'm going to go see what happens with that. Uh... The big, tall three-point shooters are really interesting. So Davis Bertans, 65% of his shots this year are threes. He's making 42% of them. Game-changing. Doug McDermott actually has more to his game than this, but what's changed for Doug McDermott is this freedom and willingness to play, and then he does because he was the like 30-point-a-game scorer at Creighton. He has more to his game. But George Niang suddenly falls in this category. George Niang is using 62% of his possessions to shoot a three. And he's making 42% of them. You know, I ran a filter today on one of my charts. Like what players are taking more than 50% of their shots as threes. 
and what players are making, and I said it at 38%. Okay, here are the players that are kind of unique in this way. Duncan Robinson, 78% of his possessions are threes, 45% went in. Ryan Brokoff, again, I, I don't know, but maybe this type of player is becoming more important. 6'6", he's not quite the same. You know, he's big. He's not huge. Ben McLemore, another one of Zach Lowe's uh, All-Stars. 72% of his shots are threes. He made 39%. Davis Bertans, 65% of his shots are threes. He made 42%. Kyle Korver, 65%. 41% went in. Landry Shamit. Patrick Patterson, interestingly. George Niang, 62% of his shots is threes, or his possessions is threes. 42% went in. Can we up it? Can George take more shots? I don't know if he can play more minutes, right? I mean, the interesting one here is when we'll sort, we'll search, we'll uh, flip it for minutes played here. Cameron Johnson, a draft pick that was heavily scrutinized and criticized and as though uh, Phoenix really made a mistake. Maybe not. 6'8". Fits this mold. 61% of his shots were threes. He made 39% as a rookie. That might turn out to be a hell of a pick. Tony Snell still floats around this list. Matt Thomas out of Toronto. Who? Not the former Ute announcer, now Rocket announcer. He's a 6'4 guard out of Iowa State. I doubt it. He's 6'4. If he's 6'7, I'd be really excited. Washington had a kid named Garrison Matthews who played like 18 games. Justin Holiday. Fits in this. Justin Holiday's interesting. Here's a player that has floated around the NBA, not had a mark, not been particularly efficient. He's 6'6", and all of a sudden he shot 42% from three this year. It's 36% career, but is it on an uptick? I don't know. Let's, you know, watch. Patty Mills is small. Sfai McKeelick out of Detroit is small. Bryn Forbes is small. Royce O'Neal's on this list. He does not high volume, just doesn't shoot. Langston Galloway is small. Furkan Korkmaz out of Philly is pretty interesting. Right? Korkmaz, who they kind of are suddenly relying on, is 6'7". I think there's really something to this. These guys that are 6'6 six, six or taller... And take a tremendous amount of their shots as threes. And if they and they're making some, they're unique. They're unique in the same way that Rudy Gobert is unique as a dunker. And we shouldn't be undervaluing. In fact, I think this is a skill uh that probably, you know, is is the next trend is trying to find these guys. The guys who played the most minutes who shot over 50% of their shots or over 50% of their possessions as threes and hit over 38%. Duncan Robinson and Davis Bertans, Royce O'Neal actually, but he's so selective. I think it's hard to think of him as a pure shooter in this. Tony Snell, Landry Shamit, Langston Galloway, Bryn Forbes, Justin Holiday, Ben McLemore, Patty Mills, Furkan Korsmaz, Cameron Johnson, Gary Trent, it's not that big. Kyle Corver, George Niang's on this list. Just not many minutes played. It's interesting. And I thought Doug McDermott being on that list was interesting as well. 
Keep an eye on it. Because I think that that's something that we'll see. Let me take a second and tell you about a really useful app, uh, a life hack, uh, a secret weapon. It's been fun. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works for your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. It's a great way to just grab, you know, I always say this about a lot of these books. They're really useful. They're really information. They're actually a magazine article. But the fact of the matter is magazine articles don't make any money. And then there's some, so four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. So then there's some other really good ones, right? Bob Rotella, who does a bunch of sports psychology books. Absolutely great. Uh, with some of the things he looks at, there's Richard Branson, the virgin way on everything he did about leadership. You know what? I don't want to read. I don't want to spend like a month on it, but if I can spend 15 minutes on that, be really good. David Epstein's new book, The Sports Gene, Jared Diamond's book, Upheaval. Some really interesting things are there. So go to Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your seven-day free trial. That's Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your seven-day free trial. Also save 25% off when you sign up for Blinkist at Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, this two-week period on the Lockdown Podcast Network, we are doing the greatest franchises in uh, team history. And, I mean, for us, that's really simple, right? It's the two NBA Finals years. Um, And so we did the focus on the 1991-92 season. I thought it would be interesting if we would actually go take kind of what happened in the next four years before the Stockton shot and reviewed that. So... The year after the Jazz lose to Portland in the Western Conference Finals, it's 92-93. They come with all sorts of uh, aspirations and the rest. And Mark Eaton gets hurt in training camp. And his back is never the same. He ends up only playing 64 games. Uh, starting 57, he averaged, he's not quite the same. And the Jazz are trying to figure out how to play without him. Uh, The Jazz were the healthiest team in all of the NBA the year before. Only like four missed games. Suddenly had James Donaldson start a game at center. Isaac Austin started center. Mike Brown started 21 games at center. The Jazz tried to piece it together. They fiddled around with the lineups once they didn't have Eaton trying to find length at other spots. Jay Humphreys. End up starting 20 games. Ty Corbin, 58. David Benoit, 27. Jeff Malone, they moved him in and off the bench. And Malone was 31 and Stockton was 30. Stockton actually had a little bit of slippage down to 15 points a game that year, if I remember correctly. Um, In the 90, coming off, he had 17 the year before. Went to 15.8, then slipped to 15.1. His assists went from 14 to 12. It was just it was the 92-93 season the next year for the Jazz was just a little bit of a struggle. If you go back and look at it, so they come off that Western Conference Finals run and, you know, the feeling is, you know, the next step is here to be had. And instead, what happens to them is you have the Eaton injury. They start the year six and five. 
They finally hit a stride at the end of December and get themselves up to 20 and eight and are really rolling. And then they just, and then they just really lose their rhythm. They end up going, uh, they were 20 and eight and they end up going 13 and 15 over their next 28 games. They go 14 and 17 over their next 31 games. And it's just, it's a slog. Uh, they, they go from 12 games over 500, to just eight games over 500 when they lose on March 26 to Denver and they stay nine games over 500 when they lose again, April 11th to Phoenix. So they get to the, they never hit a rhythm again. Uh, they get to the playoffs and they face George Carl and the Seattle supersonics for another year. But this time they do it. I believe without home court advantage. Uh, because they struggled themselves through a 47 and 35 season. They finished third in the Midwest division behind Houston, who won 55. San Antonio won 49. The Jazz are the sixth seed. Phoenix now is the number one seed at 62 and 20. The Sonics are 55 and 27. Interestingly enough, the Blazers kind of scuffled through that year as well at 51 and 31. Everyone thought they were ready to take the next step, but Clyde gets to 30 and only plays 49 games. They make some changes and add Rod Strickland uh, to the team. Jerome Kersey only plays 65 games now at 30 years old. Remember in that day and age, 30 years old is like a bad moment in time. Delaney Rudd leaves the Jazz and goes and plays for the Blazers that year. As the Jazz kind of, Jay Humph, the Jazz trade Eric Murdoch and get Jay Humphreys as kind of this, that was the next piece of the puzzle. Larry Kruskoviak comes in uh, to try to add some depth to the team as well. Uh, and they, uh, it, it just, it ne- you know, as I said, it doesn't click the same way. They get to the playoffs to face the, Sonics in the first round of the playoffs, hoping that it's going to click back in. They get blasted in the first game, 99-85. Now, Sean Kemp's now in his fourth year and he's beginning to come into his own. He has 29-17 and 17 in that first game and the Jazz uh, lose it and it's in Seattle. So, game two, the Jazz actually now grab game two in Seattle, 89-85. And it's like, all right, here we go. Malone had 26-9. and nine. Gary Payton's a better player than he was a year prior. Uh, Nate McMillan, Michael Cage, they uh, aren't relying on Eddie Johnson nearly the same way they did the year prior. And they go back to Salt Lake for game three, and the Jazz win it 90-80 to with a dominating fourth quarter. They outscore Seattle 27-11 to in that fourth quarter, having been down by six heading into the fourth, and they just Delta Center magic again. Uh, 19 from Jeff Malone. Stockton had 11 and 10 with six turnovers. Only took six shots. Peyton's defense beginning to have an impact on him at that point in time. Jazz playing just eight players. Mark Eaton playing 20 minutes, but he is just a little limited. He's not quite the same guy. Uh, 23 points for the mailman. And the Jazz now game four with a chance to knock the Sonics out, advance in the playoffs, and the Jazz drop it. Uh, Kind of a crushing loss. Probably one of the worst losses actually we now go through this stretch we've got the Houston losses but this one's this one's right up there on the kind of really bad loss category 
for the Jazz. Mailman goes just 7 of 18 in that game. Stockton goes just 4 of 11. And the Jazz uh, fall and go to Seattle for game 5 and lose 192 in game 5. Mailman had a pretty good game at 26 and 12. Stockton had a pretty good game at 8 and with uh, 19 points and 11, uh, but Seattle got the win and the Jazz season comes to an end. That game, that loss is really a crusher. Um, that game four loss, when you go back and look at it, uh, is the one that kind of, you know, you you on the list of bad moments in Jazz history, that's, that's certainly one of them. Again, same circumstance. They play just seven guys. Eaton's playing 20 minutes. Mike Brown's only playing 18. They're playing Carl at center a little bit. They're trying to just work this thing around. Ty Corbin's vital, playing 38 minutes a night. Uh, the Jazz just uh, just didn't have all the pieces that they that they wanted to have at that point. And then when you when you look back at it, and the Jazz the Jazz, you know, found a way to. Uh, win that series the stunner that took place was Portland got knocked out the Jazz would have gone on to play and the Rockets had to go seven games with the LA Clippers uh, as well in that series so if you go back you know go back and look at the Jazz would have advanced to play the Houston Rockets and what you know became obviously a longtime rivalry shortly thereafter as the Rockets won that series against the Clippers three games to two, that same Clipper team the Jazz had played the year before, Olajuwon is now kind of at his peak. And the Jazz would have matched up with Akeem in that second round um, of the playoffs that year had the Jazz been able to uh, advance uh, that that whole season. So uh, disappointing, uh, kind of that next step in the process. The Sonics, to their credit would go on and beat uh, Houston in seven and then lose to Phoenix in seven. It's Phoenix would go on and lose to the Bulls uh, in the finals. That's the game seven. Seattle Phoenix is the great Charles Barkley game uh, where Barkley uh, has an unbelievable game seven. I also think lived at the free throw line, but he had 24 points. Actually, he had 24 rebounds and 40 Four points. Seattle fans will still talk about the 64 free throw attempts that Phoenix took in that game. All right, Daily Devar is back. Um, feel free to send me your email at dlock at zero nine at gmail.com. Nice to bring you locked on jazz again. Great chatting with you. Talk to you soon. Now go tell your smart device to play Chad Ford's NBA Big Board.